0: When a hurricane is forecast, wise people prepare. Windows are boarded up, doors are secured. There's a far more severe storm coming than a hurricane, however, for us in the world. We have a forecast. Angels have warned us, prepare. Prepare for what is coming upon the earth. And that's what we want to do this week, uh, preparing for the crisis. Our focus for this week of prayer, preparing for the coming crisis, which is just ahead. In my 70-year lifetime, I've never seen anything like the events we've seen in the last few weeks. The coronavirus, COVID-19, has captured the attention of the entire world. The nations of the world are responding to this infectious disease like they would respond to a war, a world war. By allowing COVID-19, I believe God is gently seeking to prepare his people for far more severe crises in the future. And through this experience, God is attempting to teach us many lessons. I've selected 10 for us to note this evening. It's hard to remember that uh, a little over a month ago, February 12 to be exact, the Dow Jones Industrial Average had its highest close in the history of the stock market. But this summit was only the edge of a cliff. And in the last uh, month, a dramatic drop has occurred. The median stock is now down 50%, and the Dow itself is down 33%. Coronavirus lesson number one, in this simple world, unexpected things happen. Unanticipated events catch us by surprise. The coronavirus was an unanticipated shock. The book Desire of Ages asks the questions. Who can read the future? Where is security? The answers come back. There is assurance in nothing that is human or earthly. And that brings us to lesson two. Who would have guessed that an unnamed 55-year-old living in Hubei province of Wuhan, China, was destined to change the world by a choice of what he ate for dinner? A meal that included bat meat started a chain of events that led to the individual seeking medical attention November 17, 2019. Now, less than six months later, and the world is different economies are struggling. Thousands have died. Unprecedented measures have been taken to combat an illness. What one man ate changed the world. But there's a third lesson to be learned. The report of the World Health Organization, China Joint Mission on Coronavirus Disease 2019, found that the highest level of infection transmission is found with exposure to an infected person, such as in a home setting. Dr. Paul Auerwerter, the clinical director for the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins, echoes this finding. If you have a COVID-19 patient in your household, your risk of developing the infection is about 10%. If you are casually exposed to the virus in the workplace, that is, you are not locked up in a conference room for six hours with someone who is infected, like a hospital, your chance of infection is about 0.5%. Those we are closest to, those we love, infect us, and we infect them. The fourth lesson we will note is the risk both to and from healthcare workers. In the March 12, 2020 journal of the American Medical Association, Drs. James Adams from the Northwestern University and Ron Walls from Harvard pointed out two disturbing facts. First, healthcare workers with repeated or prolonged exposure to infected patients, particularly in enclosed areas have an increased risk of contracting the COVID-19 infection. Secondly, healthcare workers run an increased risk of spreading the COVID-19 infection to other patients, their own families, and their community. Those whose task is to save life are bringing death. Those whose work is to protect the public become vectors for spreading the disease. A fifth lesson to be gleaned from this virus is that asymptomatic carriers may exist, These have been called stealth carriers with little to no symptoms. This is somewhat controversial, but it's currently believed that the only way to find these carriers is to test the general population. The sixth lesson is that this contagious disease can be controlled by social distancing and self-quarantine. Unlike the flu, this approach appears to be effective for slowing the spread of COVID-19. Lesson seven, the disease especially preys on the elderly and infirm. It is also increased in smokers and vapors because of their smoke-damaged lungs. The risk of death is increased in diabetics. Those with good immune systems and those who are younger seem to have reduced risk of death. The eighth lesson is the exponential growth of the disorder in a society. Charts of data from John Hopkins University show the apparently slow, benign beginning, which then develops into a sudden explosive growth, the so-called hockey stick shape of an exponential process. Lesson nine, saving lives is expensive. The effort to mitigate the rapidity of the spread of the coronavirus has become a severe shock to the world economy. A recession is felt to be a virtual certainty and many are arguing that a depression is inevitable. Lesson number nine, saving lives is expensive. It is now being argued whether the cost is worth the value of saving lives. In a recent article, the New York Times reminded readers that government agencies calculate these trade-offs regularly. The Environmental Protection Agency, for instance, has established a cost of about $9.5 million per life saved as a benchmark for determining whether to clean up a toxic waste site. We're worth $9.5 million. There are many aspects of this virus and its disease that are pu- puzzling. Experts disagree about many things about it. However, our 10th coronavirus lesson is one thing experts agree on. Hand washing is essential. I took this slide from the website of the National Centers for Disease Protection, the CDC. The very first step in protection is to clean your hands often. This is important for the whole family, but how do you wash your hands? Let's see how this is done. Wet your hands with water. Apply soap. Rub your hands palm to palm and wash the backs of both hands and in between your fingers. Then palm to palm with fingers interlocked, clasp your hands together and rub and then clean around the thumbs too. Rub your fingertips in the palms of your hands and finish off with the wrists. Rinse your hands really well with water and dry them thoroughly with a paper towel. Use the towel to turn off the tap, your hands are now clean. The coronavirus is emphasizing a truth revealed in prophecy, expect the unexpected. Those who are prepared for the final crisis expect the unexpected. Please listen carefully. When we truly expect the unexpected, there's nothing that is unexpected. The statistics are clear. It is dangerous to drive when we are inattentive. To be a defensive driver means to drive expecting the unexpected, prepared for any eventuality. Auto insurance companies have determined that distracted driving is the leading cause of car accidents. Distracted driving has significantly increased with the advent of smartphones. Texting is dangerous. Talking on a cell phone is dangerous. Applying makeup while you're driving is dangerous. All it takes is a second of distraction to cause an accident. The second most common cause of accidents is drunk driving. This leads to overconfidence and carelessness. Volvo began to address inattentive driving in 2008. The car company mounted a camera that watched the face and eyes to make certain they were attentive. This reduced its accidents. In 2016, Cadillac adopted a version of this. In 2017, an aftermarket device, OpenPilot, became available for many cars. It's now has more than... 15 million miles of driving use without one driver-caused accident because it keeps the driver attentive. In driving, it is essential to be alert and watchful, expecting the unexpected. Jesus explains how this is done in life. He told his disciples, be on your guard, that is, be attentive, so that your minds are not dull. Jesus then tells us three things that dull our minds and diminish our ability to be attentive. Carousing. Carousing includes noisy, drunken partying. It includes grossly excessive eating and drinking, gluttony, surfeiting. Drunkenness decreases, dulls our mind, and worries of life. All these dull the mind and keep us from being watchful for dangers. Carousing, drunkenness decrease our alertness, silence our conscience, and remove appropriate concerns about any future consequences for our actions. The worries of life makes us alert for the wrong things, distracting us from what should engage our attention. If you're not watching, that day will come on you unexpectedly. For many, this is sooner than they expect. They, they drove by the exit, it's past now. There's no time to react. And those who are focused on pleasure, those who are intemperate, those who are focused on this life will not be ready to respond immediately to the sudden challenges of the end time. They will be caught in a trap. The pleasures of this world, the difficulties of this life are the bait for the trap. When we take the bait, we will be unprepared. Airline pilots tell me much of flying, a plane can be automatic, in fact, even boring. However, ending the flight, landing a plane is the most challenging aspect of flying a plane. It requires alertness and attention. The end time also requires alertness and attention. Here's why. Transgression has almost reached its limit, volume eight, page 27. Confusion fills the world, and a great terror is soon to come upon human beings. The end is very near, but now comes the punchline. We who know the truth, who's this? That's us. We are being addressed. Should be preparing. This is why we're having this week of prayer. God in his mercy has allowed the coronavirus to be a wake-up call, an alarm clock, if you please. Those who know the truth should now be preparing for what he is soon to break upon the world. We are not preparing for future events in the far distant future. We are preparing for events that are at our doorstep. This is the pilot announcing that we are making our final approach. We're going to land soon. Make sure you have your seatbelt fastened. Listen carefully to the description. We're to be preparing for what is to come as an overwhelming surprise. The world is unprepared because they're consumed with gluttony, drunkenness, and the anxieties of this life. They're eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and neglect to re- or refuse to listen to God's voice and his prophetic warnings of the soon coming judgments. They're not anticipating these last day events. They'll be caught off guard. We move to the second lesson in Christ's parable of the coronavirus and see the power of influence. One infected individual is all it took to introduce the pandemic that is killing thousands and decimating the world economy. Solomon said, one sinner destroys much good. No man is an island. None of us liveth to himself, Paul said. You might think that what you do is unimportant, but everything we do has an influence that is felt around the world. Paul reminds us that through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. What we do matters. It has an influence around the world. Think of the world-impacting influence of one 55-year-old in Wuhan. Throw a pebble into the lake and a wave is formed, Christ Object Lessons, reminds us. And another, and another, and as they increase, the circle widens until it reaches the very shore. So with our influence, beyond our knowledge or control, it tells upon others in blessing or in cursing. The influence of one word or one action done can never be stopped. How can we enhance our influence for good? How can we enhance our influence for God? My wife and I have been reading through the testimonies for our family worship. A week ago, we read the following: Many dress like the world to have an influence. This is a common practice. Many do it. But here it goes on, they make a sad mistake, not only sad but fatal mistake. Dressing and acting like the world gives us an influence but not a saving influence. In place of the Christian influencing the world around, it shows the world is influencing the Christian. Instead of bringing Christ's influence into the world, it brings the world's influence into our homes and into our church. It's not only influencing the world away from Christ, it's influencing impressionable church members away from Christ. It is saying that the showy, immodest, extravagant dress in the world is just as acceptable as the attractive, clean, and modest dress of the Christian. It's saying that for a Christian, fashion is a more important guide than God's Word. It is saying that an inordinate amount of our time, money, and attention should be given to that which we will call attention to ourselves. It is proclaiming that the instruction in God's Word on truly becoming dress can be safely disregarded. How can they have a true and saving influence? Let them live out their profession. Show their faith by their righteous works and make the distinction great between the Christian and the world. Light and darkness are not the same. Darkness is banished by light. Mixing the two dims the light. Jesus told us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I saw the quotation continues that the, I saw that the words, the dress and actions should tell for God. It is our cheerful, encouraging and Christ-like words, our appropriate and simple dress and our habitually helpful and courteous actions that give us a true and saving influence. Then a holy influence will be shed upon all. Now I want you to notice the next sentence. And all will take knowledge of them they have been with Jesus. The only way we can have a true and saving influence is to have been with Jesus, to spend time with him. And when we spend time every day with Jesus, we will become like him. We're dependent on Christ within us, not fashionable clothes upon us for our influence. We want our words, dress, and actions to call attention to him, not divert their attention to us. Unbelievers... It continues, we'll see that the truth we profess has a holy influence, and that faith in Christ's coming affects the character of the man or woman. If any wish to have their influence tell in favor of the truth, let them live it out and thus imitate the humble pattern. But we must move on to the third lesson from the coronavirus. Repeated exposure in closed spaces increase the risk of having the coronavirus. This is a powerful reminder of the diseases we can be exposed to within the home circle. Manuscript 34, 1899. The educational influences of the home life are a decided power for good or for ill. These influences are in many respects silent and gradual. Like a virus, you cannot see, feel, or hear. These impact us for better or for worse. Generally, these influences don't bring immediate changes, but almost imperceptibly over time, the changes occur. And that brings us to a fourth lesson from the coronavirus. Of all people, spiritual caregivers face the greatest danger, since those who provide care to the infectious sick are in danger of succumbing to the very diseases they treat. James 3.1 tells us, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. We do not simply point others to the way to heaven. We lead them by going ahead of them. We don't tell others, go. We invite them to come. Be ye followers of me, Paul said, even as I also am of Christ. We are not saved by telling others the way to Christ. We are saved by coming to Christ ourselves and bringing them with us. We take every precaution to avoid unnecessary exposure to the diseases we treat. Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others I myself should become disqualified. We don't condemn sin in public and practice it in private. The medicine we prescribe to others we take ourselves. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So we put on the full armor of God. That comes complete with a hazmat garb. When we accept God's promised gift of repentance... It brings us a daily surrender, consistent daily prayer, and Bible study, and gives us the desire and power to obey. And that brings us to the fifth lesson from the coronavirus, the stealth carriers that appear healthy, but are carriers. Education, uh, page 150, the strongest bulwark of vice in our world is not the iniquitous life of the abandoned sinner or the degraded outcast. It is the life which otherwise appears virtuous, honorable, and noble, but in which one sin is fostered, one vice indulged. To the soul that is struggling in secret against some giant temptation, trembling upon the very verge of the precipice, such an example is one of the most powerful enticements to sin. He who endowed with high conceptions of life and truth and honor does yet willfully transgress one precept of God's holy law, has perverted his noble gifts into a lure to sin. Genius, talent, sympathy, even generous and kindly deeds may thus become decoys of Satan to entice souls over the precipice of ruin. You can't tell just by looking at an individual. There's only one way to tell if someone is a carrier, and that is to test them. How does God test for spiritual virus carriers that endanger others? When someone comes from an infected area, they are observed for a time. After Paul's conversion, he was observed for a time. And he tells us, do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. You want to give time for an infection to emerge. In speaking of the selection of a conference, President Ellen White gave some instruction. Such questions, she said, must be decided only on the New Testament plan with fasting and prayer. We need to know we have God's guidance in these matters. I was pointed, she said in 4T, to the providence of God among his people and was shown that every trial made by the refining, purifying process upon professed Christians proves some to be draws. The fine goal does not always appear. In every religious crisis, some fall under temptation. The shaking of God blows away multitudes like dry leaves. Property Prosperity multiplies a mass of professors. Adversity purges them out of the church. As a class, their spirits are not steadfast with God. They go out from us because they are not of us. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, many are offended. Less than six reminds us of the contagiousness of sin. Sin spreads from person to person. A major way to control the spread is social separation and quarantine. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. I will receive you. In a letter to a minister who had exposed minors to evil, but excused his actions, Ellen White wrote plainly, comparing his communication of impure and evil deeds to minors to Sodom. She said, Sodom's evil practices did not come all at once. First, one man and woman stupefied themselves by unholy polluted habits. Then, as inhabitants settled in Sodom, they did as you were doing, educated others in a line that is forbidden of God. And so as the inhabitants continued to multiply, these ministers of sin continued in educating them in their own defiling practices, until if any person came into their midst, their first thought were to educate them in their evil work, until Sodom became renowned for its pollutions. Evil spread from person to person. It requires vigilance to uh, to avoid such exposure as far as possible. Firemen may be required to go into a burning buildings to rescue people, but they wear special clothing, carry oxygen to breathe to avoid the dangerous fumes, and they get out as quick as they possibly can. Manuscript 57, Let it be your study to select and make your homes as far from Sodom and Gomorrah as you can. Keep out of the large cities. To fathers and mothers, I'm instructed to say, fall, fail not to keep your children within your own premises. We can invite Sodom into our homes by the books, magazines, internet, videos, television we allow. The seventh lesson we learned from the parable of the coronavirus is the importance of following the laws of health in our personal practices. This is a necessary preparation for the future crisis we face. I'm not going to dwell on this. We know the key aspects. We've now arrived at the eighth lesson. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world, and the final movements will be rapid ones. The movements are on an exponential course with a hockey stick shape. Letter 21A, 1892. Satan, with his whole confederacy of evil, is stirred to intense fervor and plans that have been made only wait a favorable moment for open development. All things are getting into a state of readiness, and while those who believe have been contending over little matters, drawing apart from each other, each seeking to have and vindicate his own way, the powers of evil have been strengthening for the last great crisis. Satan's agencies are prepared. Are God's loyal people prepared? Many complain of the unpreparedness of the country, the county, the state, federal government, unpreparedness for the COVID virus. But are we any more prepared? Is the pantry of our memory stocked with the Word of God? Salvation is number nine, is costly. Lesson nine. What is the value of the soul? Is it worth the cost? Romans 5, 6. When we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Angels would not have done it. Notice this interesting quote, volume 7, 225. Angels marveled that Christ should undertake what seemed to them a hopeless task. They marveled that God could tolerate a race so sinful. They could see no room for love. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. That brings us to the last lesson we will examine together in our meditation. What is a proven method for decreasing our chance of getting the coronavirus and spreading it? We must have clean hands. Did you know that clean hands are a key to preparing for the final crisis? Job says, yet the righteous will hold to his way, and he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. Psalm 24, 3 and 4, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully. We need to be clean, but we are unclean. As Isaiah so clearly says, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. But there is a solution. Luke introduces us to a man who was full of leprosy. There's nothing that is more unclean in the Bible than leprosy. At the time of Jesus, it was uncurable and deadly. And Dr. Luke describes the extent of the physical condition, the man was full of leprosy. There are two kinds of leprosy. This man had the worst kind, lepromatous leprosy. You couldn't get more unclean. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet, he was covered with it. Leprosy kept this man away from people, but it was the leprosy that drew him to Jesus. Leprosy kept other people from this man, but leprosy did not keep Jesus from him. A man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Ralph told me about videos on YouTube that feature filthy homes, homes that are unbelievably dirty. The homeowners are given the opportunity to have their homes completely clean, transformed in four days. Let me show you a short excerpt from a series called Obsessive Compulsive Cleaners on the YouTube Xander TV channel. Before, the living room was a tipping ground for toys and tat, with no space for humans, let alone cats. It's now an inviting and organised space. Oh, wow. I'm absolutely amazed. You actually have a living room. I know, and a dining room. Yeah. And believe it or not, we still have the toys. Just put them away. Four days ago, the kitchen was overrun with dishes, dirty clothes, and clutter covering every worktop. Now it's clean and tidy and back to its best. Oh, wow. Nice, isn't it? Clean. I've never seen the work surface. You could actually cook a meal in here now. Yeah. 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 And the way it is, it's easy to clean and keep it like this finally the guest bedroom was covered in bags of clothes and litter trays it's now a litter free space with an area for paula to cross stitch what do you think then carrie oh lovely really nice now got an area where you can sit and do your cross stitch i'm very pleased with this room i have to say do you know why christ doesn't take away our sins, which make and keep our hands unclean? Because he won't pry the leprosy and uncleanness of sin out of our hands. The only sins Jesus can take are the sins we are willing to surrender to him. This is an excerpt from a YouTube channel aptly called Filth. This was said to be the worst flat in North London. With the amount of trash, bedbugs, mountain of cat litter, and stench, Most would say this place should be cleansed with fire, but these professional cleaners say no home is too unclean for them to clean. You see the cat uh, uh, litter there, Uh, mountain of cat right there. The only homes that cannot be cleansed are the homes where the occupants refuse the cleansing. Man can clean filthy houses, but only God can clean filthy lives. God will not do this without our permission. If we're willing to surrender our filth, our sin, He's willing to cleanse it. And the sins we cherish are the only ones He cannot take away. Are you hanging on to some little thing in your life, some activity that you love but know is wrong? Are you willing to surrender it to Jesus? There is another point on cleansing it must be done frequently, it must be given sufficient time. A rinse won't do, we need a wash. To properly wash your hands, you need to wash them for at least 20 seconds. People often don't spend enough time, they don't take off their jewelry, and they don't dry their hands properly, which is an important component in getting the hands clean. So now we're going to do it the right way. Right. So you need to take off your ring and start up the water. And you're going to wash your hands for about 20 seconds, which seems like a really long time. It's about the length of time it takes to sing the song Happy Birthday. Are we willing to frequently take the time in prayer for cleansing? Are we willing to frequently take the time in God's Word for thorough washing? When we are willing for Jesus to take it all and say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, he will respond. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Uh, Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When we are willing to go to Jesus for cleansing, he is willing to cleanse us immediately his leprosy was cleansed. How can a young man... uh, uh, Can you hear me? Uh, Eric, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Through the word, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and gives us the gift of repentance. In sorrow, we come to God With our confession. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a surrender of my sins. Whatever the uncleanness, it's pardoned. In that day, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. At Calvary, that fountain was unsealed and it remains flowing to this day. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain. You need it? I need it. This fountain is more pure than ivory soap. It's more effective than any hand sanitizer, and I want it. You want it too? You need not fear that there will be a run on this product. It's available for you and me today. Once cleansed, how do we keep our hands clean? Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Will you just now go to Jesus and tell him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Will you stay at his feet until you hear him say to you, I will be clean. And do you determine by God's grace to daily secret prayer and daily hiding his word in your heart? That secret prayer, that hidden word doesn't stay hidden. It's revealed in our actions. And I pray that we learn from the uh, coronavirus the lessons that if he were alive he would if he was he's alive sorry if he was on earth right now he might share with us we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Christ's name amen mm-hmm.